Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge. And Shelly, I am so fortunate. The best thing about doing this podcast is I get to speak to very intelligent women. And again, today I'm surrounded by them. Thanks for that, Serge. I am so thrilled that we have the lovely, the talented Katrina Collier, who is the author of The Robot Proof Recruiter, one of the must-read books if you're just entering recruitment, if you are needing some reminders of recruitment, you need to ensure you've read this book. And Some people got wind of, if you're in Europe, but here in Canada, you've got something exciting happening on August 30th. I do. Talk more. Edition two of the Robot Proof Recruiter is available, finally, in Canada. (laughs) I whispered the last bit, in the whole of North America. It's so rude. You guys had to wait. It was published on the 3rd of August in the entire rest of the world, but Canada had to wait. Why does that happen? It ruins my marketing. That's all I'll say. And I still have donated my royalties to Hope for Justice Charity, which aims to end Monday slavery. So please don't just buy one copy. Buy one for all of your team. Make them feel special. Truly. Everyone should have a copy. You know, I feel a little weird even saying this, (laughs) Katrina, because even when your first book came out in 2019, I was like, who wouldn't read this? This is essential (laughs) reading for recruiters. However, yeah. For anyone in the audience who doesn't know mm. who you are, can you mm. give us a little bit of a bio, bring them up to speed? Sure. <laughs> First off, let's just clarify the accent. I'm Australian, but I live in London, so I don't really know what I sound like. Just if that's confusing anyone, because you said, who, who am I? I? I'm Aussie British. So I've been in the recruitment industry for nearly two decades, which is a little terrifying. I have been agency. I've been in-house. I was a trainer. And then unbelievably, Kogan Page came and asked me if I would like to write a book, which was pretty mind-blowing because I failed English and don't have a degree. So to be actually the author of two editions of a book is pretty mind-blowing. Since the book came out, I now run design thinking workshops with clients to help them remove all of the crap that is causing a bad candidate experience or perhaps bad collaboration between recruiters, talent acquisition, and hiring leaders. So that's one of the main things I do. I've just launched The Collective. You might have heard of my mastermind, so it's taken over from that beautiful coaching and mentoring space for recruiters. It's a safe space to just like literally come along and let's address your problems. Yeah, Uh, We've had one so far and it literally blew my mind. I was like, oh, this is so exciting. I can't wait to see what it's going to become. And obviously I speak, I have the unbelievable honor to speak on stages around the world. I've actually spoken on five continents. I was actually going to get the six until that stupid pandemic came along. (laughs) The reason I always say that is because I've got clients all around the world, but by speaking and literally sitting there, you really hear what's going on. And so I really feel like I can get under the skin of the global recruitment audience, which is quite nice. When it came to the book, of course, there are lots and lots of other voices in there. There were 74 in the first edition and I haven't added up all the extras I've put in. So (laughs) there's probably like 90 now. (laughs) I do want to dig in on that. Before I go into it, though, You were the first guest. Our first episode of the Recruitment Flex was Katrina Collier. And it was not that far after you released the first edition of Robot Proof Recruiter because you released it in 2019. And 2019 to 2022 is not a whole lot of time. Why a second edition? There's nothing that's changed in the last (laughs) couple of years. Like, why do you not? Nothing. It's all. 
Oh my God. Exactly the same. same. Employees are still going into the office every day. Nobody's been sick. Nobody's died. It's all exactly the, no. It it was funny because I was sitting going, oh my gosh, it's a little bit out of date. And others will argue and say it isn't. The theme of it is not out of date. No. Everything I'm saying, which is please, can you put the human first, use the technology to support, which is pretty well the theme through the whole book. And the fact that it's the internet that's actually the big problem. That's still the same, but as I'm updating it, because it's about 25 to 30% different. So new examples and yeah. updates, made sure the technology was the same because lots of companies, of course, have folded. But I did get to the little paragraph on flexible working, which was a paragraph at that point, and just seriously laugh my head off. Because back then, 2018, 19, you had to prove that somebody could work remotely and you had to prove that it was okay. And it's like, yeah, that's all been done for you in a matter of months in 2020. So it was like, okay, now our problem is people don't want to go back into the office and companies are doing silly things like going, no, you're coming back in five days a week. And they're going, you know, I'm a knowledge worker. I can work anywhere. Ciao, ciao. How does it work, Katrina? Does the publisher approach you being like, it's time for a second edition or you just thought there's so much that's changed. I need to bring this up. Like, how did that work? No. They came to me. Normally a publisher doesn't approach someone and ask them to write a book. The first time it happened, I was pretty mind blown, which I'm sure I talked about on the first podcast way back. But again, they came to me and the only reason they will have come to me, and if you are listening and you purchased a book, it is because of you, because mm-hmm. of the sales. They wouldn't have come and asked me to do a second no. edition if the sales hadn't been so good. So I cannot thank everybody enough for purchasing a copy, telling people to purchase a copy. I've had companies buy like a hundred. Indeed in India bought 400 copies and they had the branded. I've had others buy a hundred. Logic Melon bought 150 and things like that. And it really does help. And every single penny is like saving someone's life. So it's it's huge. That is so amazing. You know, the second edition lifting off the fact that so much has changed, Mm. you've added an additional focus on remote onboarding, like who's doing it well and who's a total fail. You know, some really bad experiences and what you can learn from those. For example, there's a seriously high level VP who gave me her experience of being onboarded remotely. And what she was getting at is when you take my salary and divide it up to every day, she said, I had to spend an entire day trying to work out my email. I couldn't just walk out the office and say, somebody fix it. You know, they didn't give her an assistant that she could go to. Mm-hmm. There's more examples like that and lessons that can be learned from that. And then some of the mistakes I saw that companies have been making, interviewing. I don't understand how people don't realize what's this like in real life? Well, it'd be like me sitting at my desk with a paper bag on my head, them insisting their camera was off and he's having to be on and then arguing with him that he had the information and he's going, well, here's my inbox. Let me show you because I'm online. I can actually open it and show you. There is no information here. It's sort of very quite aggressive. And I think the other mistakes are monitoring software. That's more employee engagement, which I certainly don't go into, but companies making that mistake, not trusting their employees. But actually, no, I think the biggest mistake are those companies that have had higher productivity, more profitability, and have forced their people back into the office. You're just going, really? What is your take on that? Because obviously there's a couple of different mindsets. I tried to put it in the perspective of Tesla versus Airbnb. Airbnb, Mm -hmm. Brancheski being very clear. I don't care where you are in the world as long as you get the work done as Tesla's. No, I need you in the office. But what's your whole take on that right now? Ask your people what they want. What do they need? How do they need to work to be the most happy and productive they can be? Because really the happiness leads to the productiveness. Ask your people. 
And the vast majority are going to come back and say, you know, on a day, two days a week in the office, some might be like, I don't want to go in at all. I mean, I think Gen X are the worst for that, actually, which is bad because, you know, we're all set up. We've all got spare rooms. We're in a different financial bracket a lot of the time if we're knowledge workers. So we can actually set ourselves up. Whereas, of course, the younger generations can't necessarily do that. They haven't got a space to work. They want to go into a space. Mm. So I think you need to ask your people. But the ones I see that are succeeding, they have a hybrid model. They've listened to their people. They've asked them what they need and they've worked it out. And there's some kind of flexible working space where people can come together and collaborate when they need to physically be in person. I saw it from my workshops. I can run those remotely, but oh my gosh, they're magical when they're in person. Yeah. Because they're often, it's the first time the entire team's come together. Then they're there and there's poster notes everywhere and we're getting to the bottom of stuff and you can just see them. It's so exciting. So it's nice to do that at times, but at other times, you know, these open plan offices, they're designed for extroverts. They are. I'm not an extrovert. I'm a very loud introvert. I do not want to be near anybody when I'm working. I'm at my optimum in silence at home with the dog snoring behind me. <laughs> people would assume, oh, Katrina will be fine in an open plan office. Don't assume. Ask your people. I've just moved and I'm now living on my own, 100% on my own. And I had to go meet a client yesterday. I didn't want to go. I mean, I love him. He's gorgeous, but I didn't want to go. I'm like, oh, please don't make me get on the train. Please don't make me go into London, be around people. Can we just do a call? <laughs> I'm becoming more introverted. <laughs> it's true. It's happened. Let's go back into recruitment. One of the things that sure. you're very famous for is being probably the biggest advocate for the human element in recruitment. But times mm-hmm. have changed. And obviously, the human element is always going to be there. But how can a good recruiter combine the human element and leveraging technology? Is that such a yeah. thing? Is that even possible? Gotcha. I mean, I think the first thing you need to do, and particularly when we talk about what's happened in the last few years, the biggest disappointment I have is the fact that people could have gone through 2020. And let's be honest, a lot of recruiters lost their jobs. Yes. And they've mm-hmm. just forgotten all the empathy, all the compassion, all the kindness. It's just gone really? How can you forget what it felt like to be on the other side? So I would love to see that come back. If every day you think about, well, how would I feel if I was in those shoes? And then you get your technology to do the hard work, to do that communication piece, but not the robotic communication piece. You know, all the way through the book, I'm giving examples of how you can make your autoresponder seem really human, like direct somebody to some help behind the scenes, that sort of thing. Put your actual contact details on. Because how exciting it is when somebody actually contacts you and argues, no, but I am right for that. And this is why. I'm sorry, I can't write my resume, but I've got all this experience. And then you end up in this amazing conversation. So it's just, it has to start from you remembering that we're Mm -hmm. people recruiting people who have thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And we need to spend a lot more time remembering that. And then, okay, how can I use the technology to free up my time? I very rarely get pitched. I mean, sorry, I get pitched by vendors all the time, but um, <laughs> by a, someone I think was wanting to leverage my network for recruits. I didn't even understand the message. It wasn't from a recruiter. And it was just so direct. Hi, Katrina. I'm sure you're aware of this. Who would you recommend? And I'm just like, I'm sorry, who are you? <laughs> I hadn't taken the time like to build the trust. Yeah do that. And then it's okay. You're in conversation with someone. Well, here's my diary, book of time, that sort of thing. Use the tech in the right order. Go through your process as well. Like literally either go and apply for a job at another company to see what their process is. Find the ones you like, steal from that, or go through your own process. Apply for a job at your own company. Actually, there are some stats in the book about the fact that how many people don't think they would get a job at their own company if they applied again now because of the ridiculousness that's been put 
in the way. So it's go try it out. Go walk through the process. Try it on your phone. I've been saying for years, hand your phone to the CEO and get them to apply. And they'll uh, be like, oh, this is dreadful. And you'll soon get money freed up to fix the problem. You're saying technology. There is something that I have a very strong opinion about, and I'd love to hear yours, Katrina. The one-way video interview. HR Tech is happening in three weeks in Vegas. And I was yeah. looking at who's been nominated for the top 10 best techs. And one of them they're saying is a top 10 best tech where the first interaction a candidate gets is a text interview. The second is they're automatically then invited for a one-way video interview. Is that a good use of technology, Katrina? What do you think? It depends how quickly they're answering the salary question. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Sorry. It wasn't like that. Believe me, Shelley, I'm going to answer and believe me, oh, we're on the same do. team. Yeah. My um, recruiter friend was looking for, well, actually she's ended up out of recruitment, but she just, she saw this role that was really interesting. And the first thing she had to do was send her LinkedIn profile and answer two questions. And then they said, oh, well, you've got through the first round. And in our bias-free process, here's the next round of questions. It was like 12 questions. One of them was asking something about her degree. And it was like so long ago, does it matter? And what if you haven't got one? And does that make a good recruiter whether you do or you don't? It was ridiculous. And she's all she wanted to know is what salary, because mm. if it's substantially less than what she's on, she's strangely not going to go for it. And then they were saying it wasn't biased, but they'd looked at her LinkedIn profile and they'd have gone, oh, she's a pretty young thing, blonde. Let's put her through, you know, like, right. <laughs> it's like, please give me a break. Please. Yeah. I love it when you put an application in, of course, you've got your cell or your mobile number on there, and then they'll send you a GIF or a meme or something, you know, like, oh, we're so excited. We got your application. We're going to try and come back to you. But if you don't hear, chase us up here. But we're just going to go back and forth on this. Because some people want to talk to you no matter their age. Some people yeah. would rather have a call and not waste time with texting back and forth. But one-way videos, I've been doing videos for donkey's years and I can deliver a fantastic performance on video, but most people can't. It's very hard. And even if they are like a, a TikTok user or a Reels or whatever it's called these days, I've lost touch, but they do so many takes. Whereas, a, yeah. oh, hello, I'm Katrina Collier and I have these skills and I'm, um, uh, 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 yeah, it's right. stressful. You know, thanks for that, Katrina, because I think it's the most dehumanizing thing to do to somebody. Really, yeah. it is. Serge, he's shaking his head. It depends if you're in high volume recruitment or not, doesn't it? Well, if somebody's so actually getting 500 applications, I understand why they're wanting to use it because they feel that they're overloaded. How is watching 500 people do a one-way video interview any more of a time-saving? Who's going to well, watch it? Wouldn't. They'd probably rule them out in the texting bit. Eh? Why don't you agree, Serge? Yeah. I think it has yeah. its use. So we've had this argument <laughs> probably 50 times. And Into initially, your- I was very much on the fence that I think it's great. I've changed my thought process around in the last little while. I'm very comfortable in camera generally. And there's aspects that I really liked about it because I could record mm-hmm. any time that I wanted. It's five yeah. minutes. It gets through the process quicker. There's benefits mm-hmm. across the board, but you are right. Like high volume. I used to leverage it later in the process as almost the last step that I could share it with a bunch of people instead mm. of having to do three, four interviews with the executives, I would just share the video with them. So it would actually speed up the so, process, but I get it. What about if it was audio though? See, I actually think most people, well, not all, 
because some people need the visual element, but a lot of people would find that easier. I mean, one of the updates in the book that I read off Recruiting Hell on Reddit, which I have to give credit to Steve Levy for pointing me to Recruiting Hell. It's It's very entertaining and also very sad at the same time. But one of the girls was saying she got invited to a video interview and then she's like, oh my gosh, I have to get all dressed and I have to sit up straight in front of the camera. You know, I do my typical thing of lobbing up with maybe some mascara on and I don't care. A lot of people think, oh, well, look at you guys with your beautiful jackets on and, you know, but maybe an audio would be better. You can send the audio snippets on so you know that you didn't misinterpret and there is a technology that does that that's in the book. There, There is a lot of bias in video. I think you nailed it earlier when you said, yeah. look, obviously recruiters do look at LinkedIn profiles. There is bias yeah. when it comes to that it's as well. Video sadly. will create an additional bias for a lot of people. Yeah. And the argument with a lot yeah. of these video vendors are this will eliminate bias. And I'm definitely not sold on that. No. Just the opposite. Yeah. Just the opposite. Yeah. You now have proof of what a racist you are. Or an ageist or a yeah. sizist. Literally, we have them all. And and we would have them in person as well. But I think that goes back to, and actually there are far more human elements into the first chapter that I added more because there was something that I really yeah. realized over the pandemic. Why is it when I ring up the call center and it's been outsourced to the subcontinent, why do I get frustrated? Why do I immediately feel most like I'm curious with myself? Okay, I've had a bad experience before. I didn't feel like they could understand me. And so I understand why I'm reacting. And I think that's the thing with the bias. You have to be sufficiently self-aware and sufficiently curious to go, oh, I'm reacting to that person. What's that about? And they don't teach that enough to us. Again, this is back to that human stuff. It doesn't matter if you're using the technology. You've got to be curious why you're reacting. But I do think a lot of older applicants would very much think that they're getting ruled out. There's definitely that feeling from a lot of candidates, but let's Mm. switch a little bit. I had one of my recruiters on my team that took your master class, Dick, and she's an amazing, June, exactly. She's an amazing recruiter. I've Mm. never worked with a recruiter that has done a better job of building relationships with her hiring managers Mm, and her her candidates. And don't take all credit for it because her taking the master class She was absolutely shit until she joined the mastermind, (laughs) which is now the collective. No, of course not. No, no. She had that. And it's really interesting because I sort of created it thinking that it would attract people who wanted to develop, but it actually attracts like one of the recruiters in there has been recruiting for 22 years. Yeah. You know, and, and he's joined because he wants to get even better. He's really curious. He wants to develop. He wants to understand. He's moved from agency to in-house. He wants to understand it more. And it's it always actually attracts that June quality already doing an incredible job, but they want to do an exceptional mm-hmm. job just to really make sure all the humans have a great experience, all the humans in the recruitment process. So recruiter training is definitely something that, uh, to me, a lot of organizations don't spend enough resources, money. Yeah. They take recruiters that generally don't have a even a background. Like there's nothing you can learn in mm-hmm. school on recruiting itself. And we're just putting them in that position. What do you think recruiters should focus on when they're looking out? Okay, I want to upskill. I want to learn new things. Where should they start? Mm-hmm. What do you think are the key skills they need right now? Well, if you have like literally next to no budget, get Jan Teggs as the full stack recruiter and obviously get the robot proof recruiter. Cause I do believe the combination of those two books yes. is quite a great way to get going. His is going to teach you where the people are hiding online and you can go and find them and all of the sourcing stuff. And I'm going to teach you all of the human stuff. So it's a kind of a great place to start. But other than that, I think go fight for 
budget? What do you need? You might need coaching, which is obviously where something like the collective would come in. You might need hands-on, like how do I structure the call? How do I structure the intake? Where you go look for some recruiting training. Again, going back to that curiosity and inquisitive of what do I need to excel at this? What am I not understanding? Going back to the more important part, the people team. I mean, it's mad, isn't it? We are the people that bring in the people to the company. And even if you're external, we're partnering your company, you're the people that bring in the people. And people make a company succeed. I don't care who said it first. It's just logical. But somewhere along the way, it all became, but the finance department does. No, the finance department does not make the company succeed. The people do. And if we're not getting Mm -hmm. the ones that bring the people in to be exceptional, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. Oh, by the way, if anyone's listening and you're just about to let go of your entire talent acquisition team because you're having a very short hiring freeze, can I just remind you that it will take you about three months to get up to speed when you unfreeze? So perhaps you shouldn't be that short-sighted. Just a thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bitchy comment. You're going to unfreeze in about three minutes and start hiring and they're going to be three months behind because there's nobody there talent pooling or getting ready for the unfreeze. I don't think it's a bitchy comment at all. I think it's a really true comment because we saw it during 2020 and I experienced where I had to lay off my whole recruitment team and then it picked up really quickly. And I ended up working 80, 90 hours a week because I didn't have a team and I was trying to ramp up people. And it's so funny because we are seeing that right now. Like all the layoffs. I was looking at Wayfair. They laid off 900. It was basically Mm. their whole recruitment team on top of other ones. You really must get Tracy Parsons on because she has such a great opinion on this. In some ways, I feel like we over-downsized in 2020 and potentially some companies over-hired in 2021, and now we're leveling out a bit, but there's still a bit of overreaction going on. 900 people of 15,000. They need to be starting to say like it's this percentage and there's this scaring into recession going on. And Tracy did just post about this. Here's a company, they've laid off 300 people and they're recruiting 400. They've laid off 200, they're recruiting 400. And it's like, we need to be looking at that. This doesn't feel like 2020 when you were let go and, oh, forget it, you're not going to get a job for months. People are getting hired again in seconds and we're not focusing enough on that. Oh, I was laid off last week, I'm already hired. Well, (laughs) right. That is my perspective as well. Is there some fear mongering? Is it really just headline grabs? To say, oh, we're headed for a recession. Oh, and technically two quarters in a row, we shrunk. But the fact is, I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing companies hire. I'm seeing, certainly my clients are all hiring. Mm. You know, not at the pace that they were in 2021, because they were playing catch up for sure. Yeah, as we'd never experienced before. We didn't know what was going on. But, you know, I think if we got through 2020, we can get through a recession. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you'll be right. I've been through about three or four by now. Yeah, same. I think I started working in one. 91 was one. (laughs) Way back, 2008. There was one between then, though. There has to have been one between 91 and 2008. Surely it's cycle. (laughs) So in your experience, because you've got the master class, and I love the fact that it was- collective. Not the collective. I'm sorry. Just to confuse everyone, I renamed it. (laughs) Yeah, thanks a lot for that. But I have changed it. It's quite different, yeah. What was interesting was your comment that it's not just for somebody who's, you know, in their first six months of becoming a recruiter. You talk a lot about curiosity. Definitely. I can relate to that. I almost call it nosy because I want to know where did you work? Mm -hmm. What was it like? Mm -hmm. You know, talk more about that. Are there any other competencies that talent acquisition leaders should be looking for when they look at who's Mm -hmm. successful in the role? We know you can come from almost any background except Mm -hmm. engineering, I would argue. 
<laughs> because they like Steve to argue. Levy. Steve Levy would disagree with you on that and argue with you on that. So you're right. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. Yeah, because he's actually an engineer turned recruiter. Uh-huh. To me, curiosity uh, is, I agree, and you really should be nosy. And I do find it amazing the number of recruiters that will say to me, where do I buy your book? And I'm just like, seriously? <laughs> Like, are you kidding? Have you heard of the internet? Like, and you're recruiting? That means you're not curious. Like, if you can't even be bothered Googling my book. Like, so yeah, absolutely curiosity. But again, I go back to the empathy, compassion, the kindness. That's what you're looking for. And I would be wanting to see, depending on the role, where they did get curious about a problem and where they pushed back and set a boundary and went against the grain and made recruitment and talent acquisition better. I'd be looking for that. Like, mm-hmm. this is how I handle hiring managers. Oh, my God, oh, this girl, I loved her. I ran a workshop for Uda. They're almost like an online supermarket. I've never heard and of them. And they, no, they're Nordics, and they've just opened okay. in Germany. I did the mm-hmm. workshop in Berlin. It was so much fun. But I love this girl. Oh, this was brilliant. If her hiring managers cancel an interview, they get a sub or they call the candidate. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, my God. Can I just take you and get you to talk to every single recruiter? Could you imagine the difference if mm-hmm. we put that back? Obviously, the other one is as part of their performance, that the hiring managers are fully aware of that. But that's what I would be looking for, that curiosity, that why isn't this working? Like when I went through the application process here, there was this, like, what's that about? Surely if you did this, it would deliver a better result. Oh, do you know those one-way interviews you're doing a bias or whatever? Push back, ask questions, delve. That's what I'm looking for. Mm. And then here's how I went in and fixed it, but always to the benefit of the human. Curiosity and the ability to push back and actually assert themselves in working with hiring managers within the organization. We need a whole lot more of that in recruitment. The problem is this escalation thing that goes on. So baby recruiter, sorry, any for that offended anyone, but the new recruiters pushes back, hiring manager escalates it, goes across, comes down, they get told off. Yeah, You've got to have when it comes across, it's stopped and sent back and go, no, my team are going to push back on you. So it also has to be the pushback with the backing and the support. A little bit of backbone. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that's changing though, Katrina? Because what I'm seeing in the market is CEOs and executives are listening to recruitment way more than they ever have because there's so many Mm. articles on the great resignation, Mm. the labor scarcity, like all of these elements. Mm. Do you think that's changing? That they're getting a better impression of what recruiting does? Slowly. Slowly. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends where you are. I do think in Canada, they're a lot more aware. It does depend on the country and the culture, the personality of the hiring managers, the industry. True. So there, there are so many different parts to play in it. Hence, I started my newsletter on LinkedIn. The recruitment isn't broken. <laughs> uh, but tongue in cheek. But because of the fact that TA is an unknown function. Yeah. Really, what does talent acquisition do? You know, you ask anyone outside of our bubble, and they're, oh, I don't know, they, they sit over there and they hand us resumes. You know, they really don't understand what goes yeah. on. It has that reputation problem. It needs to push back. It needs to own its space mm-hmm. as a function. So from the leader, the right way through, everything it's doing. So that perhaps they don't all just get laid off willy-nilly. We're actually talent pipelining. We've done the whole market mapping. Toby Coleshaw has a book coming out on talent intelligence and you know how they've used that to define where the company should open places. You hear that Amazon, wherever their location is, they're going to run out of people. Yeah. So where are they going to get those people? And on it goes. So it's the function itself is evolving 
but it needs to have its reputation evolve at the same time. The supply and demand is way off and it's going to be off yeah. for decades. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is where talent acquisition leaders really need to step up and communicate the challenges yeah. and what talent acquisition means to the organization. Because I see it as important as marketing, sales, mm. pretty much every function in organization in yeah. this current time. I think also that's when the recruiters need to also push back and say, well, hang on a minute. What about disabled applicants? Yeah. What about neurodiverse applicants? They also can be pushing back and saying, well, you're saying we haven't got people, but actually there's a whole pool over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. And again, pushing back. Are we going to talk about the favorite hot topic of the week though? We <laughs> can't have Katrina Collier on the show without <laughs> talking about the hottest TikTok topic. Right now, quiet quitting is the buzzword. And I had no clue what quiet quitting was until a week ago. And I saw a TikTok video. Finds it perfectly. For the audience, so we know the context because there's two different voices saying quiet quitting is two different things. Quiet quitting in this context is people have decided that I am going to do what's in my job description within the hours that you're paying me. The days of me working additional 20 hours and getting assignments the last minute and working overnights are, they're done. They are what they call quiet quitting, which could just be called setting boundaries, could be Mm -hmm. probably a better description. Then there's the flip side that a lot of corporate people are saying quiet Mm -hmm. quitting is actually you're abandoning your job. You don't care anymore. You don't want to get promoted. We don't want quiet quitters. So what's your take? How do you feel about this? I think this goes back to what's happened in the pandemic, that people have sat up and just gone, you know what? I'm not doing it anymore. I want to work when I want to work, where I want to work and how I want to work. I've been doing that for years. It's brilliant. Yeah, I was feeling off this morning. I didn't do much work. I'll make up for it at some other point. You know, and it's like I'll work when I'm in flow. Mm -hmm. And I think that employees have started to realize this. The Robot Proof Recruiter is all about the internet. The internet was the massive game changer. Yeah, It's the thing that was like, Here's the door. It's open to your company. We can see all the jobs. And people have become a lot more tech savvy in 2020, 2021. They've had to. So they're mm-hmm. far more aware of the jobs out there. And again, I am talking knowledge workers, of course. I'm being yeah. a bit specific. But it's that I don't have to put up with what you're making me do. I'm going to set a boundary. It's like the thing of, oh, we've got a four-day working week. And then people start setting meetings on the fifth day for the person who's working a four-day week. Well, no, I'm going to work four days. I'm working four days. These are my four days. So don't set meetings for me on the fifth. It's respect. It has swung from be grateful you have a job where we all started with that yeah. to mm-hmm. be grateful you have employees. In my career, for it to have swung that far is mind blowing, but it has. And it is now be grateful that you have employees, treat them right, treat them with the respect. They do not have to work all the hours that God sends. They do not have to burn out for you. You're not paying them for that. So I'm on the fence of you go quite quick, people. You go slap those boundaries up. <laughs> I have no problems with that whatsoever. Well, I have to slap boundaries up with clients. Well, Why think, shouldn't employees be able to do that with their bosses? Well, mm. think about it. Though the generation that are still leaders in the organization are coming very much from that mentality or that background of, I'm so lucky to have a job. I hear it from CEOs and executives and senior people that if you're not doing the cover letter, it means they don't want the job and all these factors that it seems so antiquated, but it's a major shift. And we're seeing a big battle between the employees and the employers because the employers want people in the office. They want it to go back to when it was in 2010. Because that's what they grew up with less than, but they're going to retire soon. And then the companies are going to realize that all the Gen X have actually left the workforce and they haven't got that many leaders. So that's going to be another little interesting moment, but it's going to change. It's going to change. So we'll retire, hopefully. 
I think both of you have categorized this properly because I do believe it is those leaders who would also have the belief that we need to make the application hiring process so incredibly difficult Mm. because if you really Mm. want this job, you will jump through every hoop I put in front of you, including Mm. a one-way video interview. (laughs) <laughs> Tell me how you feel. I wrote an article <laughs> as part of that newsletter series. I wanted to call it Fang Off, but I didn't think anyone get what I was saying because yeah. I thought it was terribly funny. And I thought no one else is going to get that because it's not funny. But I'm talking about how people are opting out of the Fang or whatever. They're probably Mang now, whatever they're called now. Yeah. Um, manga, whatever. Anyway, mm-hmm. that lot. People are opting out of their recruitment process because they're going, oh, come on. I'm not going to yeah. sit through eight, nine, ten interviews. If you haven't worked out, I'm right for you. Piss off. And they go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you have a bigger problem. If you can't work out someone's right for your organization in two or three interviews, you have massive leadership problems that you need to sort out. I agree. Katrina, I have said for mm. years, the only reason you have nine interviews is because you have a blame culture. If I've had mm. nine people agree on this person, I'm not going to hang if they don't work out. You said mm. they were okay. And you said they were okay. Yeah. So it yeah. is, it is the first sign of no trust, no mm-hmm. accountability, Let's spread the blame. Yes, yeah. and anyone you do like listening, interviews. think about that when you're jumping through those hoops. Maybe you don't want to work in a blame culture company. That's yeah. actually really interesting. Yes, it's true. So last thing we always want to leave with is predictions. Anything coming down the pipe for the rest of 2022 that you think is going to be disruptive? I think we've had them all, haven't we? <laughs> Pretty much. I think we're going to scare ourselves into a recession. Sadly, I think it's coming. And I mm. think we'll have done it to ourselves. However, I just really want recruiters to be aware there are jobs out there. So try not to go into the pits of despair. Just be aware. And if you really are stressed about it, think about a, moving into a recession-proof industry because there are plenty that like had yes. flourished in 2020, for example. 100%. So that's your other option. So Katrina, your book has been out yes. since August 3rd. Everywhere in the world except North America. Except North America. August 30th, <laughs> Robot Proof Recruiter, the second edition. This copy is red. But while you're at it, get both copies. Yeah. You can get it at any bookstore. I'm assuming Amazon. <laughs> yeah. Amazon. Yeah. Barnes and Nobles, yeah. all the normal bookstores. So thank you so much for coming on, Katrina. This, as always, was a fantastic conversation. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Katrina. We'll talk yes. soon. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.